Welcome to the Firetime Podcast, where it's never hot enough, slow is fast, and the way to win is to make it so stupidly easy to buy from you that there's no excuse not to. I'm your host, Tim Reed. And once again, I'm so excited to be here today. Welcome to the Firetime Podcast. Now, as we start this episode out, I've got to tell you, number one, I'm really excited to finish out our series on the 10 steps to execute the perfect job. But if you're listening to this podcast in real time, we are starting something really special that happens two days from now. So as this episode airs on October 12th, in two days on the 14th, we are starting a monthly event called Power Hour, where we take people from the Firetime Network and we have a dedicated topic that we are going to live stream a conversation about. And I am really, really excited for this first one, October 14th. We're going to be talking about how to make time to lead. A lot of people look at themselves and their companies and think like, I know I need to make more time to lead, but there's always stuff coming up. So at 1 p.m. Pacific time, which is 4 p.m. Eastern, on October 14th, we will be doing a live stream video to talk about how does this work in me and Grant's life. We'll be sharing specifically about our best practices, the way that we organize our time and our schedules and our calendars to try and make time for the things that are most important. And obviously, we're not perfect at it. No one has this completely figured out, but there are some practices that have been extremely beneficial to us, and we're excited to share that with you. Now, the cool thing about these power hours that we're doing, we're going to be doing them every month going forward on a different theme, and it's a live stream that's going to be on YouTube and Facebook and LinkedIn, and you have the ability to write in questions. We can pull guests into the video conference with us so that that way this can be as interactive as possible and make it high impact. So super excited about that. If you're listening in real time, starting on October 14th and then going forward every month and you can get more details inside of the Firetime Network community. You can go to itsfiretime.com slash community to find that. Okay, today's episode is the crown jewel of our 10 steps to execute the perfect job. We're going to be talking about steps 8, 9, and 10 in the process. Step 8 is installation. Step 9 is turning in paperwork. And step 10 is thank you and review. And this is so cool. We, we, we talked about it last week a little bit that as we go through the steps of the execution process, we're building and building and building and building and the installation is the payoff. There's a, there's a boss I used to have that said, Tim, there's a million things we do in the process of installing a fireplace and the customer gets value at two of them when they buy the fireplace and when it's installed. And you know what? There's there's a bunch that happens in between. Purchasing, receiving, staging, prepping for the job. When the estimator comes out, and and you know, this this person I think wisely said the customer gets value at two points when they buy it and when it's installed. So everything leads up to the installation. The installation is the payoff for our customers, and we want to nail it. If we think about this, customers are excited about the process, right? And with that, they might be building expectations in their mind that are not realistic. And when the team comes out, the worst thing in the world that we want 
is for them to make a judgment about the way that their truck looks. Maybe it's dirty. Maybe they blocked them into the driveway and they couldn't get out. Whatever it is, we don't want the customer to be getting a bad impression of the people that are about to rip a hole in their house. So we want to build and do this right. Now, we're going to spend a lot of time talking about you know the way that the installation needs to go, best practices for it, and, and it's going to lead into paperwork that, I mean... A lot of the time, I, I, I mean, I've struggled with this in, in my own companies in the past, and I see it now when I go into businesses, paperwork is not clean. And and this is such a big deal. I mean, you know, I, I remember when, when I was an installer, we, we didn't really have much of a paperwork process. It was like, well, we, we do the job, and if they paid us, then it must have, it must have gone well. And, and in, in today's world, we, we just can't operate like that anymore. When I think about you know, issues that I would have come to me as a retail manager, when team members would say, hey, you know, uh, this customer's upset about this situation, the first thing we do is we're checking the paperwork, right? Okay, let's take a look at the pictures from the job. How was it left when, when our team got out of there? Without that information, it, I mean, it puts your company in a precarious position. I, I can think about a situation that we had one time where a designer purchased a fireplace on behalf of their client and the client didn't like it and it was a major ordeal where there was a you know there's some tension between the designer and the client we were kind of caught in the middle where the designer was out of the picture and we were dealing with the customer and and the job was like an hour and a half away from where our store was and and the paperwork was the only way that we were able to to you know, verify that we did the right thing, that, that the job was left the way that we said it was. And, and it was still a hassle. So, you know, if you get situations down the road that arise with a customer, your paperwork and your pictures are all that you have. As I'm, as I'm recording this, I'm looking on my computer screen here at a picture from an installation that my team did. This is going back six years ago. And I'm looking, it's got, it's documented with the customer's order number, the date, the time of the installation. And, and it's a picture of the level on top of the fireplace. So we can say, hey, when we were out there at this date and at this time, this was level. There's a lot of things we can do to make sure that we have a tight installation and documenting it is a big deal. Finally, the last step in the process is going to be the thank you and review. We'll, we'll talk about this in detail and I'll share some thoughts afterwards. But, you know, we do all this work for a job to go smoothly and what do we get out of it as return business? A lot of the time it's nothing. A lot of the time we let the customer go. And, and I think that there's a way that we can show genuine gratitude to the customer and win future business. And, and I want to outline, you know, building a process for that specifically. So um, I'm going to jump out of the way and I'm going to let you hear this final conversation with Grant Falco on the final steps to the execution system. And then I'll jump back on afterwards with some closing thoughts. Joining me once again from Spokane, Washington to round out the 10-step execution process is Grant Falco. Grant, I don't even need to introduce you, and I don't even know what I'd say if I did. <laughs> How you doing, man? <laughs> I'm doing so good. I'm excited to kind of, you know, have the payoff of all these podcasts in the last few steps. Um, every step is is super crucial, but you, you, you make your money in the installation. I'm excited to kind of talk about the nuances uh, within that. Yeah, you know, we've given a lot of analogies throughout this process. You've talked a lot about the relay race mentality where it doesn't matter how fast you are if you can't pass the baton cleanly. And 
last week we talked about the analogy of like your warehouse staging and your confirmation call. It's kind of like your pre-race prep of like, if you don't do that stuff, it would be like having your shoes untied or even worse, like one shoe off and only using like one of the two blocks to put your feet in when the gun goes off. Like you are just not prepared to run the race. Here's the analogy that I want to give for today. So we're going to talk about steps eight, nine, and 10. Step eight is installation. Step nine is turning in paperwork. And then step 10 is the thank you and review. As we prep for the installation right here, I mean, this is game time. So like I'm a huge NBA fan, you know, when the Portland Trailblazers come out to the Moda Center and the crowd is going crazy, they do their warmups that, you know, everyone's uh, hooting and hollering as they get ready. When that jump ball goes up, That's when the game starts, and that's exactly what installation is. Everything is preparing for this moment, and installation is showtime. Sometimes for us in sales or as a business owner, it's an afterthought, right? The sale is the showtime for us, but it's not for the customer. For the customer, the installation is the showtime, and it's what everything builds towards, right? Oh, that's I love that analogy. I was just thinking as we were getting into this, like, okay, so here we are on step eight installation. Think of how many things have to go into the installation beforehand to make it successful. And so often people are like, well, how do we make installation better by hiring installers, by doing this or doing that? And and really it comes down to the very beginning process of how you handle the customer in the showroom, how you qualify them, sell them the right thing and manage expectations all the way up to this point. And it's not doing it once. Sometimes it's doing it two or three times as we've talked about many times so far. Yeah. Now, Grant, I know that we're going to dive really deep on install. So I want to jump into it. And I'm actually going to start this out by quoting you. So we talk about each of these steps. There's a there's a problem that we have to get over if we're going to overcome this. And this is a direct quote from you. I've heard you say it so many times. The problem with installation is it's not what it is. It's what it looks like, right? Yeah. There's so many different examples I can give over the the, the last 10 years in which um, we have won and lost jobs, not in the installation, other things, whether it's the way our truck looks inside and the customer saw, whether it's how we walk from the truck to the fireplace location, whether it's the lack of preparation in the consumer's homes, there's so many different things that we need to do. You can do so many right things, but if it doesn't look good, the job can fall apart. So I'm a firm believer in setting up from the very beginning a a scoring system. And think about it this way, where basically for every good thing, it's one point. For every bad thing, it's five points. And, And from the time you actually pull into the, actually from the time you pull out of your store, you're able to either lose points or gain points. There's nothing even. And so when you're, when you're, Going to the consumer's home, you should call every single time. That installer should call and should let them know approximately when they're going to get there. The customer's like, oh, they didn't need to do that. But you're going overboard. And what does it look like? It looks like you are going to do everything you can when you get there to make sure expectations are met. When you get to the home, and this is something I'm a firm believer in, do not park in the driveway. Don't. 
be be but be like dead serious about it and have a reason because we care about you. And the last thing I'm going to do, Sue, is I'm going to park in your driveway and have you have to leave halfway through the day. Now, I'm going to ask for permission to park in your driveway. But man, what an impression that leaves with the consumer when you're respecting their driveway. Don't you believe that they know that you're going to take care of their home if you're thinking about their driveway and their commute to work and, and able to get out of the garage that morning? Of course they are. So there's certain things, walk with pace, especially as an assistant. If an assistant doesn't have anything to do, he should be over cleaning up the areas in which he's worked. Now, when it comes back to starting the job and managing expectation, more than just what it looks like, there's a few things that you have to do before you even start setting up for the installation. You got to make sure you and that consumer are on the same page. And just like the follow-up sales process, just like the confirmation that installer needs to go over in detail that scope of work with actually pointing out and showing them what they're going to do. If you do that to set it up, you're not going to have the customer over your shoulder, no matter how much of a hover they are. They are going to trust you. You took care of them from the very beginning on little things. You explained everything that you're going to do. When they check in, those are the things you're going to do. Man, You know what's amazing about that, Tim? And I haven't even got through all of it. But if you just do those few things and then make a mistake, people will give you grace. Yeah. But if you don't do those things, if you park in the driveway, if you start setting up before you even explain what they are and their dogs in there, you haven't even asked the dog to leave to to, to go somewhere else or something else, you're losing points. And as soon as you make a mistake, they find seven others to talk to you about. Well, I'm going to, I'm going to quote my father-in-law here, Lou Ratzliff. So I worked for him as, as an installer for a number of years and I was not a great installer. Lou had a lot of mercy on me, but one of the things that he taught me is that idea of walking with pace. You know, I was just this, you know, dumb, I don't know, 18, 19 year old kid that had never had a real job before. And, and Lou would tell me, he would pull me aside and, and he'd say, you know, Tim, like straighten up your posture, like walk faster. Don't call the tech department from their living room, go out to the truck because you need to get a tool. You know, all of these things, he, he would always say, walk with purpose, do this, do that. Yep. And I, for the longest time, I thought he was overbearing. Like, what is he doing this to me for? And in hindsight, now I'm seeing like what wisdom he was giving me. He would he he told me this story that when when he first started the business, him and his wife as a side hustle on their own, they would go and install glass doors. So basically, like any glass door, instead of having his installers do it, him and his wife would do it after hours, and that was like their fun money that they would that they would do when they were That's first awesome. married. That's awesome. I love it. And so, so he would literally have my mother-in-law install glass doors, and she didn't know anything about this, but he would just tell her, no matter what you do, look like it's important. And so he, he, he told this story one time about my mother-in-law, Dory. She basically just had like a Phillips head screwdriver and it was something to the effect of like she had to tighten like two screws, but she looked so intense as she did it. The customer was like, oh my gosh, I'm so glad that we had you here to do that. You know, but oh, I love it. it's that idea that, yeah, it's not what it is, it's what it looks like. And we're doing this to build confidence with the customer. We're not trying to lie to them, but because customers are unfamiliar with it, if they see you looking like a slob, they're going to start nitpicking everything. And Grant, you've talked about this, like with your dad as an owner at Falco's, he's not in the business as frequently as you are. So when he comes in, if it's been a week or two since he's been in and he, and he walks in the doors and someone 
someone, you know, the salesperson is just like sitting there with a hat on, their feet up on their desk, whatever it is, it's easy for him to draw conclusions that may or may not be accurate because of the limited information that he has about the situation. 100%. You know, I, and you've heard me say this many times, it's because, you know, I'm the quintessential owner's son and I hate the stereotype that owner's sons have. And I realized very early on, it it was more important for me to understand what things look like than actually what things are. Because I can I could tell them what things are till I'm blue in the face, but they only make judgments on what things look like. And I think about like little things. Like I came to work this morning at like 4.45 and uh, I left at about 6.45, ran home, helped my wife with a few things. And then I came back work about eight. I had saw a lot of installers that saw me at eight. What do you think they thought? Oh, about time Grant gets here. We've been here for a half an hour. Yeah. That's not what it is, but that's what it looks like. And I'm not saying that to go and address that with them, but to have that perspective, it really tells you a lot and allows you to deal with people better and customers better if you understand it's what it looks like. Yeah, my friend Alex Judd, I've heard him talk about putting on the Santa Claus suit, right? Like, if your job at Christmas time is to be Santa Claus in, like, the Macy's toy section, well, you better put on the suit. And if you're wearing the suit, you better be jolly. Like, you can't be, like, the drunk or hungover Santa Claus that is negative and that's complaining. Like, because, you know, when when you're an installer, like, you put on the Santa Claus suit. And the same thing's actually true for being a leader. So to circle back and, and kind of bring the, the first part of this to a, to a point, if we want to have a successful install, number one, call the customer when you're on your way. Number two, don't park in the driveway. Park you know, outside the, outside the driveway on, on the street and go ask for permission. Cause again, this is about winning points and walk with pace. Next, we explain the entire scope of work before we start, right? So the lead installer can explain it to the customer while the helper gets ready. And you can even ask permission. Hey, do you mind if I walk you through all the work we're going to be doing while my assistant sets up again, asking permission wins you points. So Grant, I want to talk about what happens on the back end of this. So after we explain the scope of work and we get started, I mean, our installers generally are good at what they do. So let's say that we're getting towards the end of the job and we're finishing up, what do we do next? Well, I want to go back just real quick. So, you know, we're talking about setting up expectations and then it's funny, Tim, we're going to go right to, you know, how to end it and how to complete the install. It's really not about the install, but it, it is, it's all about leading up to it and how we deal with it after that's where the mistakes happen. Rarely do they happen in the installation, which I found ironic as we were going through it. Dude, it's so good. You say that because like, I, I never would have thought of that unless you would have pointed it out. But here's the thing. Like, if you've got a question about how to install the wood stove, like, guess what? You've got a hundred page manual that answers it. Your manual doesn't tell you walk with pace. Don't don't park in the driveway. Explain the scope of work beforehand. But you're right. Exactly. I will say 90% of our problems don't happen with the installation physical labor itself. I agree. I agree. So the few things I just wanted to add to the front side of leading into this. So like... Tim said, uh, don't park in the driveway, walk with place, explain the scope of work. Two other things that I want to make sure you need to review the permit and payment processes prior to starting the job. Oh, so good. It's an opportunity to, for you to show them how good at what you do 
You are. And so the permit and the payment have to be set up prior to starting the job. That way, there's no question marks at the end of the job. That's the last thing you want. You don't know how it's going to go at that point. So set it up, permit and payment. The other thing is, I just want to make sure that everybody understands that an installer's job, like their job is to install it per that scope of work. Their job is not to install it. And I can't emphasize that enough. Yes, installers have talent and there's going to be maybe 10 to 20% of that installation that they got to figure out. But if you're taking the time to review that with the customer and the sales follow-up on the confirmation and right before the install, and then you change it up, it goes back to what it looks like versus what it is. Oh, you did not. Yeah. Sorry. I'm I'm just, I'm jumping in because I've seen this so many times, right? Like when the scope of work says you're going to put the key valve in the floor, you put it in the floor. You don't put it on the wall. Yeah. Who cares if you know better? Who cares if the wall is a better option? And yes, if you are going to make a decision change, it involve the customer and the person responsible for estimating that project, because those are expectations that have been aligned. And even if it is a better option, if it's not explained to the customer, they don't know that. And it all of a sudden is different than what you said. And they all of a sudden don't just question that. They question all these other things that you've done along the way, especially if you haven't paid attention to what it looks like versus what it is. Yeah, that's really good. It's really good. And and I, I think the one thing I want to say before we move on to what happens is we're on the tail end of the install. We are not saying that the actual labor, the actual clearances are not important. No. They're extremely important. But what you have to, to back yourself up there is an amazing installation manual. I mean, I'm assuming it's an amazing one because it's gone through all kinds of testing and you know all, all kinds of criteria to be a legit document. You also have a tech department that you can call. You've, you've got the estimator that you can call to fall back on. You have a lot of resources to help you with the physical labor of the installation. But what is extremely difficult, and I will say much more difficult than the actual labor, is how we manage the expectations leading up to and after the job. Couldn't agree more, Tim. So as we get to the tail end of this, again, we're not we're not saying it's not important, but we're saying that there are a lot of other resources to help you with the physical installation labor. What do you have to do at the end? Well, so, you know, if you've done all these things right, everything should go pretty pretty well, right? And you should be able to verify the customer is happy. And I think that is one of the biggest things, like verify that the customer is satisfied. And if the customer is not satisfied, your job is to make sure that your company, our company meets their expectations. So how do you do that? You take a customer through a full walkthrough, not only the operations, but what you did. You reiterate that you put together a scope of work and you either followed it 100% or here's where you deviated and the reasons why. They look at you as the trusted advisor and the expert and they need to know what you did to their house. Do not forget that part. The next thing is you have to verify that the unit is working and you have to tell the customer, I'm going to explain how this thing operates. I'm going to take you through all of it. And at the same time, I'm going to leave it running long enough to verify that all is working properly. And you got to take your pressures and, and so on. But verifying that the customer is satisfied and document that documenting that satisfaction is extremely important. Yeah. And I mean, the thing with that, again, like if the customer calls a couple weeks later because something is broken, sometimes customers can be really upset or maybe the wife was there when you completed the work and the husband wasn't and the husband calls you two weeks later and is, is yelling about, hey, this thing has never worked from the get-go. For you, again, to have the documentation of, hey, I'm so sorry this isn't working. When we left back on the 16th, 
you know, Deborah Smith or like whatever the name is, you know, uh, you know, she was really happy with the work that was done. I'm really sorry that this has come up and we're going to take care of it for you. But it looks like this was working really well when we left. You know, that goes so far in resolving customer tension. Oh, man, if you can. So like, you know, in my position, I take phone calls where the customer's expectations weren't met. And the power you have by being able to go to that customer's order, go through and reiterate everything that they saw and signed for in how it was, all of a sudden, half the conversation is eliminated because they know you're on it. And it's not that you're not going to take care of them. You just straighten it out right away. And I can't tell you the power of repeating what was written on that scope of work as far as how we finished it, or I would say work order on how we finished that job. No, it's so powerful. So Grant, I want to tee you up on this. If things go south, your mentality is that we don't leave the job until a plan has been communicated. And this is going to be both to the customer and to our team. I'd love to hear you, you talk about this. And there's, there's a thought that I have as well. Yeah. So we just take uh, incompletes extraordinarily seriously. Uh, we have planned, unplanned, and urgent incompletes. Any unplanned ends up being an urgent incomplete. It is absolutely vital to the success of that incomplete being completed that you actually put yourself in a position to solve the problem before you leave the customer's home. So what we we call it a all hands on deck. Uh, our installer sends a text message to the, the installation leader, the coordinator, and the salesperson. If all three of them or four of them can get together, they make a plan, they go through the whole scenario, and they tell the consumer or the installer what the next steps are. Our, our pillar is to deliver wow. So if we can rob a part, if we can do anything to finish that job, we always will. But if it's left incomplete, we will continue to pursue that to make sure it's completed as soon as possible. Well, and I think what's so big about that is, again, let's just imagine we're the customer and you're getting this you know, multi-thousand dollar project installed into your house. You've got a hole ripped open in your wall and all of a sudden something goes south and the installers just leave. <laughs> that's a horrible spot to be in as a customer. Now oh, yeah. I remember Grant, I me and me and Jessica got a sprinkler system installed in our house. This is probably going back four years, and it was a horrible experience overall. And we were on vacation for the first couple of days of work, and it was supposed to be wrapped up. And I never will forget driving home, getting super excited to turn on the new sprinkler system, and literally as we pull onto our street and I'm looking at my house, our yard is torn to shreds. There are miscellaneous tools all over the place. There's Gatorade bottles. There's water bottles. There are random sheets of plywood kind of covering the trenches, but kind of not. And there was no communication with us, and there's no trucks anywhere. And we are like, what on earth is going on? And all their tools were left. I ended up getting in touch with the guy who was the the foreman of the project finally and he just said, "Oh, sorry, we just had something come up. We had we had to we had to leave. Do you would you mind just putting all of our all all of our tools in in your garage?" So I'm like cleaning up all of the tools and I'm having to like rope off parts of my yard so that my kids aren't running and falling into, you know, these foot and a half deep trenches is a horrible experience and it would have been so much different if it would have been communicated to us hey we ran into this issue this is what we're going to do this is how we're going to leave your home and this is what's going to happen next but because we didn't know what the expectation was we made up our own and our understanding of what was going on was not good yep Yep. I, uh, that is like as nerve wracking as possible. And you know, those guys could have been working really hard, could have been doing a great job, could have ran into something that was so crazy, maybe even life threatening 
but they didn't communicate any of it and left it to be your uh, judgment on exactly what happened. For them to not communicate to you prior to you getting home, you know, Tim, if if I'm being honest, I would have taken the tools. <laughs> yeah, I mean, part of me wanted to. I was like, I mean, I don't know whose these are. Man, I mean, come like, on. We're, it, yeah, just well, crazy. And, and, you know, like, I think, you know, what's so funny about that, Tim, is I think about, like, the journey of that company. And I think about you calling in and you talking or getting mad. So, like, we used to, in Falco's, make mistakes. And then because we were all ignorant to what those mistakes were and the communication wasn't the best coming back from the installers to the salespeople, we would make it seem like the customer was crazy without knowing any of the information. And I can't tell you how often I would be surprised when I'd get out there and it was totally our fault. Yeah. It was totally our fault. But in the store, we make up this this idea that the customer is a little cuckoo when they're that frustrated, but we have no idea the experience that they were just left with. And it all comes down to the way the installers did the work. I agree. I mean, in most cases, when I was dealing with a customer service issue, most of the time it was our fault, or at least it was partially our, our fault. And again, like yep. if we own any part of it, like we are fully responsible period. Cause we're the hard yep. expert, you know, that's uh, exactly right. We we've had him on the show before, but Sam O'Donnell, he's a writer for the Firetime magazine and he works with me at Wi-Fi. Sam is the best person I've ever met at this idea of if it goes South, no one leaves until there's been a plan. I've seen Sam jump in his car, drive to a job site. I've seen him proactively call the installer, call the coordinator, call the customer and relay a plan to where, Hey, you know, this happened and it was unforeseen. We are really sorry about it. This is what we're going to do. And I can't tell you how often that ends well because he is proactively setting the expectation. And again, I've seen situations where we don't know what the answer is. So he'll tell the customer, hey, I'm going to be giving you a call at four o'clock. At four o'clock, we don't have an answer. He calls him at four o'clock and says, hey, this is what we're going to do. We're going to be addressing this in our morning installation meeting. And I'm sorry, we don't have an answer now. Our installation meetings at 730. I'm going to call you at 815 as soon as it's over. Calls him at 815. Like I've seen this happen on repeat. And again, it's just the customer gets nervous when they've dropped all this money and they don't know that you can solve their problem. They start to panic. So if things go south, don't leave the job site until a plan has been communicated. Now, after we do that, Grant, we move right into step nine, which is complete the installation paperwork. We'll get back to our conversation with Grant Falco in just one minute. Hey, if you've been paying attention, you've heard me talking a lot about the Firetime magazine and all the plans that we have for 2022 with audio articles, a printed journal, an easy to read web version, and our Firetime magazine app. Well, If you are a manufacturer or a distributor or anybody that sells to our industry and you're thinking, hey, how do I get in touch with this magazine to reach potential customers? You need to go to the website, itsfiretime.com slash advertise. You know, laying my cards on the table, when we launched this thing about a year ago, we had to do it very, very quickly. And there were a lot of decisions that we made and how we wanted to partner with companies that were very rigid. As we've looked at 2022, we have opened up the advertising opportunities to number one, offer some very cost-effective ways for companies to dip their toe in the water, but also provide some robust packages for companies that do want to commit and advertise digitally in print and via audio. So if you're a company thinking, how do I reach the right customers? You need to take a look at the Firetime magazine by going to the website, itsfiretime.com slash advertise 
we move right into step nine, which is complete the installation paperwork. And Grant, I know that this is a really big deal for you, right? Yeah, I just find that we rely on our installers to remember way too much. And it's enough to just get the installation right. There's so many things that they have to remember when doing any of the jobs. And for for a, a successful hearth retailer to manage every single one of those, every single time your paperwork is the end all be all. And it's not just like blank paper, you know, they're, there's two different types of paperwork. There's like a work order paperwork where basically there's a scope of work and you write a story that matches that scope of work. That paperwork is extremely important and something the customer should sign. No question. But on the backside, there has to be more of, of a checklist type of paperwork for your installers. Again, because memory never is 100%. And this checklist is utilized from the very moment they get their paperwork. It's documenting how many extra pieces of pipe they're taking. Eventually, how many pieces of pipe they're bringing back as well, extra. It's documenting when things go awry at the job, like you pull the box out of uh, the front out of the box and it's got a huge dent in it. Well, there's paperwork process that has to be filed under a warranty. So we have to check the box that says, did you have a damaged part? Is it warranty? Did you fill out paperwork? There are so many different things that are expected for these installers to remember that are just impossible. So the installation checklist is the end-all be-all. We put a checklist out there that is encompassing anything gas, wood, and pellet, every single thing that they're going to encounter, and they just literally have to fill it out. I don't have any other stipulation other than if there's nothing to fill out and it's not applicable, you don't put you put NA on there. You don't not fill it out. And what I'm what I'm forcing them to do is run through a routine at the end of every job saying, I walked through this with the customer. I verified all chimney is counted. I've made sure everything is cleaned up. I've made sure all warranty parts are accounted for and the, the paperwork's filled out. I've relit all the gas appliances that we turned off. So good. You know, all those things that if, even if we just miss one, we've not done the best job we can. And uh, so this checklist is extremely important to me. And I will tell you like quality control is something that's really difficult to manage because we don't see the jobs. We're not out there. We maybe get feedback from the customer if they call in. This is a way to know how well the job went. This is your quality control. A, you should have pictures being sent from every job as soon as the job is completed. Those pictures should be on there and have a subject of order number, customer name, uh, what the product is, and if it was incomplete or complete, and if it's unplanned or planned. Those all should be on there. But the paperwork needs to also be kind of judged. The only way you can get better at your paperwork is to know what those installers aren't doing right on the paperwork. Filling out is one thing, but filling it out right is something the leaders have to help them with. I can tell you from putting this into uh, a reality a couple years ago, it takes a little bit. Yeah, There's a little bit of nurturing, but man, now we get completed jobs from guys that aren't as experienced. Why? Because they don't have to remember every single thing. They walk through the checklist and it reminds them. Well, and I'm thinking too, Grant, like this is the problem with the paperwork step is that things get blown out of proportion when the install isn't documented in real time. Totally. So let's just go back to that example of the decorative front, right? So so you pull it out of the box and it's got a little dent in it. Well, if there's no paperwork, how easy is it for 
a team member to just kind of think, oh, well, we can probably just put it on. They may not see it, right? Totally. But if that paperwork, if they're held accountable on the paperwork of like the parts were not damaged, they know that they have to take pictures of X, Y, and Z, you know, all of a sudden this isn't an issue because we talk to the customer, hey, this showed up out of the box. It's got this ding on it. What I can do is I can install it right now and leave it so that way you can use the fireplace. We're going to come back out and swap it. That is setting the expectations versus, you know, because we don't have a process, you don't think it's that big of a deal. Maybe you touch it up with a little bit of paint in the truck and you leave it and now it festers and it becomes a massive issue down the road. Things get blown out of proportion when it's not documented in real time. And I, you've got kind of some some ground rules on this, like the paperwork's got to be turned in the same day, right? There's no exceptions to that, yeah. right? Oh, I mean, first off, no. like, and yeah. it's different paperwork. If you're going back for a separate trip, it's a different paperwork. Like, don't send out a scope of work that doesn't entail what you're doing. Like, what so many companies do, and, and Falco's was guilty of it, is we'd have a job and it wouldn't finish that day. We'd just send out the paperwork packet the next day. Yeah. Well, why wasn't it finished? What needs to be different? Who's going over that? Who's making sure that it's going to be finished because of that? That's why it has to be turned in the same day. And I would say that the same paperwork shouldn't be used. Paperwork in your system should be, each day you're out there should be different amount of paperwork so that kind of runs together and you can document each trip. So not two trips doesn't turn into one trip on paperwork. Well, this goes to what you were talking about earlier about urgent and completes is that we have to turn in paperwork the same day because if a job for any reason wasn't completed, that's got to be turned in before the installer goes home so that you know either that night or first thing in the morning, our team can get around it and figure out what we're going to do. That's exactly right. Okay, so I want to I hear your process about grading paperwork. Okay, so uh, when we started this checklist, which I thought was unbelievable, we still had a ton of confusion when I would meet weekly with my install team. I, I didn't understand it. I'm like, how is this confusing? Like every information's there. Every bit of information is there. And we have definitely added and refined as you will do. And that is totally fine too. It's never perfect, but majority of it is there. I had some pushback from installers and uh, one in particular was just was just like not really understanding. He was almost feeling like I was micromanaging him. And that's that's one of those difficult things with the checklist is it feels like you're micromanaging, but truly, Tim, you and I know this, it's it's actually a macro approach. Yep. You're laying it out there and letting them do it. You're not in there telling them every single thing to do. You're setting up expectations with this paperwork. But what I found is if I left it up to them to fill out the prudent information, I didn't know what they missed. So like, let's say they didn't fill out that there was a damage part and a warranty needed and a replacement part needed, but they didn't fill it out. So now my support staff is going, okay, is it not filled out or is it, was it something happened was it missed? and not filled? Was it missed? Yeah. So we, we went in and just said, Hey, this paperwork has to be filled out a hundred percent. Every line. Every line. And if it, if it's not, it's not, not you know, to this situation, then just put NA and that's totally fine. From that point, we just took sectors. So we divided up into like five or six spots. Like I don't remember exactly what like sections we divided it up into, but it was kind of like met with support staff and coordination and said, what are the most important parts? Let's just say, okay, this part's worth three points. This part's worth two points. And if there's anything missing on there, they don't get the points. It was amazing. The transformation so like generally, if I was to ask the installers, how often are you getting the paperwork right? They're always going to say, if you ask them, 
it doesn't matter if it's sales. If you ask people on sales floor, how, how often are you closing people on sales floor? I guarantee you, I know their answer. I know it. It's 80%. Yeah. Everybody defaults to 80% and it's never even close. I will tell you that my installers were probably about 50% accurate on their paperwork when we started grading this, but they would have told me 80 and we needed it to be a hundred because it's just paperwork. It has to be right every single time. And how come we're okay with it being slightly off? We shouldn't be. The improvement in my installers was night and day from basically how they were finishing jobs and the customer's satisfaction simply because we were not missing one little thing. Yeah. Now, with all that said, if we do miss something, it's as minimal as as possible simply because this checklist alleviates majority of it, hopefully. Well, it's the whole idea that we've used this analogy before, like an airline pilot, right? So before you go to fly the plane, the airline pilot's got a checklist. And that checklist doesn't negate them being a professional. It actually proves that they're a professional because they're going through a system of accountability because they don't want to have to remember, did I check this dial? Did I check this you know, barometer, altimeter, that sort of thing? They're able to let the checklist dictate what they check and then use their brain for problem solving. You know, when I think about this too, it's like the paperwork, you know, number one, it's the only way to get better. So if there's a problem, it's got to be documented and analyzed so we can figure out how do we get better. But the other thing with this is the paperwork gets filed away for future reference. And again, like it goes in a time capsule, like the installers are never redoing that paperwork. So if it's wrong, like you may not find out for five years or six years when the customer calls in with a, with a question or a problem. And I'm just imagining for you, like if you bought an expensive appliance and ran into like a, a technical issue with it. So you called in and you're talking to the support team and they're literally like, oh, so this is the model that you bought. And you're like, no, I bought this other model. Well, my paperwork here says that you bought this one. And as the customer, you're like, well, I don't know what to tell you about your paperwork, but like, this is what I have. How frustrating is that experience? And you've got to document this tight because this is going to be your lifeline in future customer service situations. 100%. And and so often the information that you need based on the situation you're dealing with is just not there. And I think a lot of the reason as you're saying that is when I started dealing with all the problems, and I, I don't mean to talk about problems like we have problems all the time, but like we're just like everybody else. We make mistakes. Yeah. How do you solve those problems permanently? And and that is the the secret sauce, like with a checklist, is you are setting your installers up and customers up for success by giving them a checklist and sets up expectations that all you got to do is complete this and and 99% of the work you're going to do is is uh is accurate and correct if you're if you allow them to make the decision on what to document when to document it that one thing that they converted the 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 fireplace the one thing that they did right when they got there that they forgot to document and then the customer has an issue and it's sitting up or it's burning differently and you can't verify that you have to send someone back out there to verify that because it's not on the paperwork or whatever else it is. Having the information there and being able to go right to it and explain to the customer what you did and why and that they signed for it is hugely powerful in in just solving those problems and managing expectations on what we're going to do when we come out. What are we going to do if the customer thinks that we didn't do anything right and you have the wrong unit? They're going to be a wreck. They're not going to be confident in you coming back out there. And there might be something wrong that you need to deal with. But if you do know what unit, you know whether it's upstairs or downstairs, you know what they dealt with out there, you know how the job went, you speak to some of the details, all of a sudden that cons- consumer has ultimate confidence that this is just 
kind of a one-off and that you're going to solve that problem. That's so good. I want to ask you this question before we move on to the next step. What do you do if you're looking to implement this and you are nervous that one of your installers will not buy in or, or maybe you have a process like this and one of your installers doesn't want to play ball? Yeah, that's so good. Um, so Tim, what I would say is, is instead of telling them, have them build it with you. So good. Because telling an installer what to do from your perspective is, is hard to do. It really is hard to do. If you don't have a way that you're meeting with your install department and building on that department on a weekly or monthly basis, I would suggest to start there because the buy-in is going to come from them participating and making their job better with you and him or them together. So if you have a checklist, I'd be willing to send this checklist to anybody that's listening to this podcast. Just reach out to grant at itsfiretime.com and you, but you, you say, Hey, I've got this opportunity to help what we're doing. This is a checklist that someone else uses. Let's, let's, let's dissect this thing. Let's see why this thing works. Let's, let's build this ourselves because I want to make your life easier. I want you to be focusing on more of the install installation stuff, not having to remember every little thing. And then also duplication. So like if you have one installer right now, you, you, you need to be working towards a second installation crew. And the best way to do that is for, for your installer or you to be able to hand off a system or a process. And that's what this checklist is for you. But I think that the number one thing is, is get them to build it with you. That's how you develop buy-in. So good. Okay, so step nine is our installation paperwork. And let's just say the job goes well. We turn in the paperwork that same day. It's filed away. But then the next thing is we need to let the sales team know that the job's complete so that we can move on to step 10, which is the thank you and the review. And this is something for me that I'm, I'm really passionate about because in my opinion, we waste thousands of dollars in marketing trying to create a quote unquote brand when customers will line up to do it for us. I fully believe that. So like, you're gonna have to stop me here, Grant, before I go too far off the rails. But like, my belief is that no company in our industry is big enough to create themselves, uh, to create a brand for themselves where they become a household name. No one is big enough. And I'm talking about manufacturers as well. There might be one exception to that rule, but but virtually no companies are, are big enough to do this. So if you're a small business, no matter how big you think you are, unless your town is less than 5,000 people, you will not be a household name. And that's okay. It's perfectly okay. And the reason is because your products aren't for the masses. They're not. Our products are for a niche of a niche of people that want warmth and beauty and supplemental heat and ambiance with a fireplace. If you think about the population of the U.S., very, very few people are ever going to buy a fireplace, and I'm perfectly okay with that. My mission is to go after the people that will buy a fireplace and get them to spread the gospel of how awesome fireplaces are to slowly start growing the tribe. But that's different than trying to become a household brand name like Coca-Cola or Pepsi because your product is for the masses. All that to say, going after the masses isn't a bad thing. It's just not it's not right for our industry. And, and with this, we spend all this money in marketing, you know, TV ads and radio, trying to create this quote-unquote brand awareness. But you think about it, Grant, like, how many of our past customers have we done amazing work for that would give us a referral or a review if we just asked? All of them. Yeah. 
I mean, tons and tons and tons of them. This is something that I, I know Tim Rethlake just hits like crazy. So whenever Tim Rethlake gives a presentation on sales, he'll ask a series of, of questions to the group. And, and very often he'll say, okay, I'm going to ask you a few questions. First off, do you find it's easier or more difficult to sell to a customer that's been referred to you than one that hasn't? And every salesperson in the room says, oh, it's, it's easier. And he goes, okay, do you find that when you're selling to someone who's been referred to you, that it takes more time or less time to sell to them? Oh, it takes less time. And then the final question is, do you find that people have been referred to you, do they tend to spend more money or less money with your company? They tend to spend more money. And then TR goes, okay, so if we know that selling to a customer who's been referred to us is easier, it takes less time, and they spend more money, would it be important that we try to get referrals of people who we've done good work for? And the answer is yes. And he goes, how many of our companies have a process to do that? And no one raises their hand. And he'll say, you know, I'm not the sharpest tool in the shed, but that sounds super stupid to me. And it, it's kind of the truth. And, and you know, he, he has a very, uh, you know, funny way that he says it. So he's not being demeaning, but, but there's a lot of truth to that. And, and I think that we discount how valuable the work is that we do, right? Like if we've gone through these 10 steps of setting up the perfect job, I mean, not everything goes perfectly, but most of the time it goes really well. And, and in the event where something does go south, we've got built-in safeguards to help us. And so many of these customers would be willing to give us a review or, or, or refer us to somebody if they had the opportunity. And so I think that the final step of the process has got to be a thank you and then asking for a review and or a referral. How do you feel about that, Grant? Oh, I, I think you're exactly right. I think uh, with a, I think that you have to almost track the ask. So I'm kind of going, again, detailed, but like installers and service techs just want to get in and out. They, they truly do. And even if they've done a great job, they don't want to ask for someone to leave them a review. But I'll tell you what, if they do and they've created a connection, they'll get it 50, 60, 70% of the time. Yeah. The other thing that you have to make sure to do is you have to make sure to make it easy for them to do. And there's all sorts of ways to make it easy for consumers to either leave a review right then, right there on the at the job and complete it with the paperwork or maybe the next day because of prompting by you. But you have to ask. The more you ask, the more reviews you will, you will get. And if we all self-analyze how we shop, we all shop based on what reviews say. Yeah. The one thing I want to note, Tim, is the thank you is only the step if the job is completed. Yes. The turning in of the paperwork is to distinguish whether it's incomplete or complete. And the one thing I just want to emphasize is if it's incomplete, it basically goes back through the entire process. Yeah. It goes back to the liaison, the salesperson, and it might not spend as much time in each stage as it goes through. But man, you got to refocus and get all hands on deck and get that incomplete done. But in regards to the the thank yous, the more you ask, the more reviews you will get. And there is no better branding than the most amount and the best reviews. Yeah. Agreed. You know, and, and I think like, you know, there's so many review solutions that you can use for your installers and techs in the field. I've heard the statistics say that, you know, you, you lose your chance of a review like 80% one and a half hours after the technician leaves versus in that first hour and a half after they leave. So I think that there's definitely some merit there. But the other thing I think about too, is like, just as a salesperson, 
I would recommend sending every customer just a handwritten thank you card. I mean, I'm, I'm literally, as I'm recording this, I'm looking at my shelf and I've got handwritten thank you cards that were written to me that I keep on my shelf. And, and just like, imagine that this customer spends all this money with you. I think your sales team should have a rhythm once or twice a month where they're given, you know, a couple hours to go sit down and just write out their thank you cards for the work that was completed the month earlier. And and what a good customer experience if like, you know, four to six weeks after their installation, they get a handwritten thank you card in the mail that just says, you know, hey, Tim, thanks so much for getting your fireplace. I saw the installation pictures and it looks incredible. I hope it keeps your family warm and safe for years to come. If you ever have a friend or family member that that needs, you know, warmth in their home, just like you received, feel free to pass on my information and put a few business cards in, throw on a $5 Starbucks card or, you know, a gift card to wherever. To me, that is a really good experience that doesn't happen very often. Well, and it's, you're develop you're creating patience in your consumer too, because, you know, let's say you get six months down the road, fall starts, they start to unit up and they can't figure it out. And it's maybe it's just something simple IPI. If they call you, and they've had an experience like you just talked about and you've sent that the thank you letter and you've followed up and just made sure everything was okay. You literally, the last thing you asked them, is there anything else we can do for you? How do you think they're going to respond when that thing doesn't light at the beginning of the year or the season? They're just going to go, oh man, dang it. And they're going to call you. They're going to communicate with you. They're going to get on the schedule and you're going to get them taken care of. If you don't do all these things and you kind of miss a, a few of the steps and the, the, the result is it's not going to start and they're frustrated, all of a sudden you don't have a patient customer. Yeah. All of a sudden, they're not waiting two weeks to, to have you out there. They're expecting you out there that day. Yep. And so we're building patience with every step as we go through this so that we're, we get some grace at the end when inevitably something can and, and does go wrong. Yeah. And and sometimes as salespeople, we're, we're nervous to to make that follow-up call or send, send a thank you card because we're afraid of how the job went. But again, if we've documented everything each step of the way, we can be confident enough to finish well. And the thing I think about is like for most of our companies, I would imagine that you've got thousands, for some of you, tens of thousands of happy customers that you've done incredible work for. Those are the people that will build your brand. It's not going to be through TV advertising or radio advertising or anything like that. It's going to be on the past body of work that you've done, customer after customer after customer, and those are the best people to become evangelists for what you do. Seth Godin, he talks about this phrase where he says, people like us do things like this. And the example would be, people who buy $6,000 fireplaces have friends that buy $6,000 fireplaces. People who pay 300 bucks for a service call have friends that pay 300 bucks for their service call. So if you want to get more people into your tribe, well, it'd be probably great to start with the folks who you know are your customer, you know you've done amazing work for, who have friends and family that are likely to need the same thing versus, you know, just, you know, throw away however many thousands of dollars you want on like a random TV ad. My belief over time is that if you're, if you were to send every customer you do work for a handwritten thank you card and throw in like a $5 gift card to the local coffee shop, I believe that that over the course of two to three years will exponentially grow the tribe of people that you do business with. And it will happen at a fraction of the cost. And because you've done such good work and, and left such a good personal impression 
I'm telling you, those referrals are going to be easier and easier and easier to close. Ryan Blake at Chimney Techniques in Aberdeen, Washington, they've got this awesome package where I believe right now they're giving away a blanket, a really nice custom coffee mug, and then like some some super nice local boutique coffee with with every install. And you think like, of course, you can bake that into the cost, but like that it just makes so much sense as a customer to show gratitude. It's the right thing to do. And I think it pays off business-wise. Well, so often we assume they know we're grateful. We uh, we, we believe that they just know and, and therefore we're too busy to say thank you. And man, like how as a consumer, when you when they take time after the job is done, they've collected money and they say thank you and it's genuine, whether it's a handwritten card uh, or a phone call, what is the lasting impression? Like yeah. the last thing was done was an appreciation of doing business with us. We know you have a lot of options to choose from and we just appreciate so much of you doing business for us. And we just need to make sure that there's not what, anything else we can do uh, for you before we're, we're done here. And they say, no, you guys have done a great job and you go on your way. That's their lasting impression. And as soon as a fireplace comes up or whatever comes up in the future, you will get that referral and their powerful review um, will lead to, to, to dozens of more sales in the future. Yeah, so good. And it's amazing, Tim, the same people that are asking, how do I brand? How do I digitally market? How do I do these things? a lot of times have 12 reviews yep, and maybe a 4.1, which is not terrible. But like, if you want to focus on that, focus on something that's a little bit easier to get and a little bit more organic yeah. and I think beneficial. Yeah. You know, so with these 10 steps, I mean, we're, we're coming to the end of it here, but if we think about it, like we've started at the showroom, we've come all the way through the installation to the thank you, which sets us up for the review and a referral. With all of this, Grant, like, I want to end it by saying this is not a guarantee. It's a template. And the thing is like without a template, you'll never be able to diagnose, right? So like, again, pick the analogy, the x-ray machine or an MRI, like whatever it is with, without a template, you cannot diagnose problems and solve them permanently. You're stuck banging your head against the wall. But if we start with step one in the showroom, we move into step two, the job walk and the final estimate. We go to step three. We have the salesperson follow up with the customer. Step four, then we schedule the installation. Step five, we purchase product in accordance with that schedule date on the horizon. Step six, receiving and staging. We've got yellow zone and red zone. We're ready. We're prepared. We're double checking. That moves, moves us into step seven, the confirmation call, setting those final expectations. Step eight, installation. Step nine, we turn in the paperwork. Step 10, the thank you and the review. I mean, that is a process we can follow. When something goes wrong, we can identify it, fix it, and keep moving. Without that, we have nothing. Yep. So true, Tim. And, you know, I can't help but think that it's 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 moldable as well. So, like, as you're going through that, you know, step eight is installation. But we have deliveries within our business. We have will calls within our business. Yeah. We even ship product in some of our businesses, right? Yep. These things are interchangeable. That step eight is an action. Now, if you're going to deliver a product, like let's say a barbecue from your showroom, it's going to go from step one 
to step four. You're going to schedule a delivery. You're going to make sure the products purchased are selected. You're going to stage it. You're going to confirm it. You're going to deliver it. You're going to turn in paperwork and you're going to say thank you. Yeah. It's not just an installation process, although that's how we've deemed it. It's actually an execution process for hearth retailers. So good, man. Well, this would not be possible without you. And I'm just, I'm thankful that you could be here for each step of the journey. So thanks a ton, man. I know people are going to get value out of it. Tim, thanks so much for having me. Well, I hope you enjoyed that final conversation with Grant Falco about steps eight, nine, and 10 in the execution process. These steps are a big deal. And and I know that there's a ton to take away. And I think that the danger in listening to this is just thinking like, okay, uh, I need to do this and this and this and this and this and this. But wait a minute, last week you told me to do these five things. And the week before that, you told me to do these five things. And, you know, it's easy to get overwhelmed. My encouragement is just take it one step at a time, right? There might be one or two takeaways from this episode and you can come back and listen to it later, right? Maybe maybe you're still thinking about the content from two episodes ago. That's okay. Like execute on that first. It's, it's going to be much better to work out a micro change to completion rather than try to take on four new tasks and not finish any of them. So I want to give that word a caution just as you listen to this podcast week in and week out. Don't feel like like you need to boil the ocean and do everything all at the same time. Rather, pick the one or the two things, maybe maybe just for this entire podcast season, you pick one or two things that you, that you took away and you work to execute those thoroughly. Then you can go back and listen to another episode or, or, or listen to you know the, the execution steps again and decide which one you're going to go to work on. Okay, as we round out a couple things here, I think that Grant's point about it's not what it is, it's what it looks like is so important for installation. And and I've just seen this happen in my own life again and again and again. When I show up at a job site looking like a professional, it goes such a long way. And 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 I would have kind of crazy rules for my team sometimes about like you're not allowed to wear a hat, you're not allowed to wear sunglasses when you knock on the door. You know, you you want to step 3 feet back afterwards. There's all these things that we need to do to to set the customer up for the best experience possible. And this is not because we're trying to manipulate or coerce them. It's because, you know, people can be apprehensive and nervous about work being done in their house and so we want to do everything we can to show them that we're a professional because again it's not what it is it's it's what it looks like that that is going to be the first thing that that can make a customer get upset on the project the next the next part with with turning in paperwork you know this idea that paperwork has got to be turned in the same day i would recommend being ruthless on this now like grant said have your installation team help you come up with the paperwork criteria. Don't just throw it on them and say, hey, you got a bunch of extra work now. Explain the, the purpose and the value and, and maybe you, you pay your installation team a bonus. You say, hey, you know, we're going to give you an extra 500 bucks, but what you have to do is come up with what the installation paperwork is going to be so you can actually task them out with creating the paperwork and they get you know an incentive to, to do that and now it's their paperwork. Now it's something that they've created that they see the value in that they own. So there's a lot of ways to do this, but the paperwork has got to be turned in the same day. There's no exceptions because again, going back to the fact that we don't leave a job site without a plan. We got to figure out what to do next. We need to be able to call the manufacturer, file for warranty, you know, for all those things, this has got to be done same day. Even if it's eight o'clock at night, when, when we get in the next morning, 
we're, we're ready to read it and, and to go to work on finding a solution. If the paperwork isn't completed, you know, now everything is, is dragging and just gets worse and worse and worse. You know, the idea of filing it for future reference is really self-explanatory. I mentioned at the beginning of this episode, you know, that situation I had with the, with the, you know, the designer and the, and the, the homeowner and, and us kind of caught in the middle where literally that paperwork being filed away was the only way that we got out of it. And as paperwork is consistently turned in and filed away and, and going back to what Grant said about, about being graded, you know, you will find that there are times where paperwork is not all the way filled out or wait, this picture wasn't taken. And sometimes it's because, you know, an installer is just rushing to get to the next job. They don't want to be held responsible for that picture. So they don't take it. If you have built a system where sometimes the pictures get taken, sometimes they don't, some boxes on the installation checklist are are checked and some of them are not, you, you can't spot that as easily. But if every single time we take these five pictures, no matter what we fill out, every single line on the installation paperwork and it's turned in every day. So the next morning we know right away if, if something wasn't taken care of, that's what starts to build confidence. Even in your installers, they might feel at the beginning, like it might be micromanagement, but as they build this skill over time, it will actually grow their confidence to do better and better work. And it will allow you when problems do come up on the job and you're talking with an upset customer to be able to stand firm on the fact that your company does incredible work and that you know you you did everything that you could have in this situation. Finally, giving this paperwork to the sales team so they know the job's complete is a big deal because that sets up the final step, which is the thank you and review. I mean, I'll I'll just confess, like this rhythm is so difficult. I find this in my own life. Like I try to find regular time to call people to say thank you, to write cards, and it's really difficult. So, like, I mean, yeah, I'm not saying this is easy, but this idea of, of thank yous and referrals and reviews, like it's the lifeblood of our business. You know, going back to, we've talked before about getting reviews on this show, but you know, if, 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 if me and my wife are going to go out and get Thai food for, for date night, we're, we're punching it into Google. And, and if it's, if, if a company's got 3.1 stars, we're not buying $9 Thai food there, much less a $5,000 appliance for our home. So whether we like it or not, and I'm not saying it's it's even fair, but like whether we like it or not, we're in the review game and and we need to get those from customers who we do good work for because even the best company will get bad reviews. There's just situations that sometimes go poorly and yeah, there are some customers that are completely unreasonable and, and downright, you know, rude and, and vindictive and, and the way to combat bad reviews is with a ton of good reviews. It, it really is the best way. There's a situation I'm thinking of. I was on the East Coast a while ago for an event and 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 it was being held with a with a pretty prominent retailer. And my friend that I was traveling with, he texted me that night and he's like, have you read the reviews of this company? And I'm like, no. And he's like, they must have nuked every customer within 200 miles. Like, I, I can't believe it. And, and you know, sometimes, again, we get this tunnel vision of thinking, well, I've been doing it for so long, people will keep coming to me. But over time, if you let your review game slip, I mean, I mean, it will greatly impact the, the amount and the quality of the customers that you have coming into your store. So, you know, I mean, I would say in general, I'd imagine that your company does good work and that, and that, Many people are, are happy with it. We can push into that by showing genuine gratitude. 
I mean, I love the idea of just have a big pile of $5 gift cards for your local coffee shop and a big pile of thank you cards and give dedicated time, like put your money where your mouth is and, 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 and schedule it off the showroom floor where, Hey, for one hour, you know, you can expense lunch and do nothing but write your thank you cards and put your, and put your gift cards in. I think that that's a great use of an hour. And, and again, at scale, if every customer gets a genuine thank you card over time, my belief is that thank you card, you know, handwritten note with a, a small gift certificate and like a, a follow-up phone call, I believe that that will result in more business. That Seth Godin says people like us do things like this. People that buy $5,000 fireplaces have friends that buy $5,000 fireplaces. So when when I, I talk about marketing very often, sometimes people think I'm against the idea of branding and I'm not. I love the idea of branding, but I don't like paying for it. My belief is that the best way to brand is to serve people really well and get them to tell other people about it. And, and, and there's ways that you, that you, you know, you can use paid tools to, to scale that, but at its heart, it's doing really good work and giving people ways to share about how their life has changed because of it. Okay. So like I mentioned before, this is the end of the 10-step execution process series. I hope it has been really beneficial for you. And Grant and I are actually going to be teaching this in detail in the upcoming Firetime workshops in May of 2022. So there's going to be a lot more on this in the future. And and this execution process is the, the bedrock. It's the framework of how you grow your company to the next level. Now, starting next week, we're going to be jumping back into a regular series of interviews for the rest of this season. I've got some guests I'm really excited for you to meet, and the conversations are, you know, they're they're super, super fun. So I think there's going to be a lot of value there. Now, before we round out, if this podcast has been a blessing for you and you want to support it financially, you can do that by going to the website patreon.com slash it's fire time. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash it's fire time. I mean, right now, as, as we sit here in October, we are in the heart of the season. And, and my belief is that the next, I think the next 12 months are going to be some of the hardest months we've ever had to endure. And, 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 and everybody's feeling the pressure. I mean, I'm, I'm feeling the pressure in, in my own business. And as I travel, I, I know that, 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 things are things are tough and we're being pulled in a lot of different directions my word to you is is to continue to push through the work that you're doing matters and and i i mean that when i when i say it like our companies provide livelihoods for people in our community to have a better life our our products help families stay warm and safe and it can feel like it's just another day punching the clock it's just another day dealing with a problem but what you're doing is serving a greater good. And my hope for you is that you keep going. So I hope you have an amazing rest of the week. I can't wait to talk to you again very, very soon. Thank you for listening to the Firetime Podcast. To learn more, visit the website, itsfiretime.com. Music from this episode was written and recorded by In Bloom out of Portland, Oregon. We thank you for listening to the Firetime Podcast, where it's never hot enough, slow is fast, and the way to win is to make it so stupidly easy to buy from you that there's no excuse not to. We'll see you next time. I'm all in to burn in-